It's no secret that writing can be lonely work, but does it really have to be? Whether you're full-time, part-time, or just starting out, you'll get insights into the tricks, tips, and production habits of writers from every level of the biz. From best-selling authors to those launching their first novels, you're sure to be in the company of friends as we encourage great writers to divulge and share their secrets. This is The Great Writer Share Podcast with your host, best-selling author, Daniel Wilcox. Hello and welcome to the Great Writer Share podcast with me, Daniel Wilcox, where every week I pick the brains of the hardest working writer talent I know in an effort to absorb their years of knowledge and turn me into a superhuman writer man. Um, today's date is the 13th of August. It is cloudy in sunny old England. It's never sunny in sunny old England. Um, and I have just spent my day, my morning, getting my words in for one of my latest books, still finishing up the series that I alluded to last week and trying to get that all wrapped up so I can send that off to the editor soon which is very exciting I find that no matter how many books you write it's always nice to actually see the finish line and get to that that wonderful two-letter sentence at the end um and then also put the book out into the world and and, and see how it is but this last well the last week or so has been a fun part of like I think I said before trying to bring it all together trying to make sure that all those loose ends tie up, everything pays off, and I deliver what it is that the, uh, the readers are after um, to make sure that the six books that they've read through are going to be worth worth that big weight. And I'm excited to see how well it does. I'm excited to see it go out into the world and for, for that puppy to start running. But today's guest, and the reason you're obviously listening to the show, is Martha Carr, who is an urban fantasy superstar, and I'll go into a bit more of a full introduction when we get into the interview. Um, today we cover the the topics of how she builds and manages a massive story universe. Uh, she's the co-creator of the Oriserin universe, which again we go into, but it spans over a hundred books in the last created in the last two years, and it's kind of incredible. So how she manages that? Uh, she talks a lot about the winner's mentality and uh, how it, how you can make a living with your writing by making those smart decisions how to think positively and trust the universe that you are pushing in the right direction. And she talks a lot about how to authentically engage with your readers. So that's quite a big one that I wanted to pick Martha's brains on. Um, I met Martha a couple of weeks ago in Edinburgh. And one of the things that became very apparent was she's very, very dedicated to her fans as much as they're dedicated to her. So if you're looking for ways to, uh, creative ways to engage with your audience and ways to do it authentically so it doesn't feel like you're, you're being phony or you're being anything that you shouldn't really be because the key point with engaging with your fans is being authentic and not trying to put on a show. So listen on for that. That's quite exciting. Um, but first, before we get into that, I did want to put a quick shout out to the Career Author Podcast. Uh, that's a podcast run by my buddies Jay Thorne and Zach Bohannon over at Molten Universe Media. Uh, a week late on this one, but to be fair, this is a brand new show and I'm still trying to get to grips with the intro. So apologies for not shouting this one out sooner, but I wanted to say thank you guys for letting your audience know about the Great Writer Share podcast. And for anyone listening to this, if you are looking for two wonderful guys who are going through the rings about how to make a living with your writing, then check out the Career Author Podcast. Um, go, I think, thecareerauthorpodcast.com is their website. I'll put some notes, some links in the show notes and you can find out more about them there. But uh, there's some fantastic guys. They do a show every week that is fantastic and I listen to it myself so uh, yeah enjoy that 
This week, we have no new patrons over at patreon.com forward slash the great writer share, but the guys over in the Slack group are kind of going nuts chatting to each other and lending each other advice. And we've got a lot of stuff going over there. So if you fancy getting involved and talking to some of the other guys who are trying to make a living from their career, get to where it is you want to go, then I definitely recommend going over and checking out patreon.com forward slash great writer share. Um, we've announced our monthly giveaway. So this year, this month, we're giving away a copy of Craig Martell's uh, release strategies. So one lucky winner. Obviously, the fewer people are in the Patreon, the more likely you are to win. So I'm not advising that anyone join it. Otherwise, it raises the chances of the current patrons of, of winning the, the giveaway. And uh, you also get a load of extra goodies. So you get access to the show early. Um, this week was the first week where the patrons of the show were able to ask the guests their questions. So we've had two of the patrons ask Martha their questions that they've been dying to get an answer to. Um, so listen to the show to see that later on. Um, but yeah, there's loads going on there. So for as little as $1 a month, which is less than the price of coffee, you can jump in and you can get access to loads of extra stuff that is all for you. It's all about building a community getting to know your people and just finding ways to accelerate your growth into full-time writing if that is what you guys are after and that's it from me this week i think so um i'm not gonna leave you hanging any longer i'm gonna set this forward and put you over into the interview with the one and only martha carr enjoy Martha Carr is the Amazon best-selling author and co-author of over 100 urban fantasy titles, all created in the last two to three years. She is the co-creator of the Oris Seren universe, a universe containing collaborations with Sarah Nofke, A.L. Noor, as well as last week's guest of the show, Michael Anderley, to name but a few, creating titles which have dominated the top of the Amazon charts. Martha is also a regular speaker at many of the 20 Books to 50K events across the world, a former New York journalist, a self-confessed geek, and spends her days dreaming of elves, witches, wizards, and other magical worlds while hanging out with her two dogs, Lois Lane and Leela. Martha, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Was that, was that intro accurate? It was accurate. Thank you. Good. You did a great job. You had me scared before recording. Well, I, I like to do that if, whenever I can. Yeah, just make sure it's accurate, because if it's wrong, it's going to come out on the show. But we got there. <laughs> So Lois Lane and Leela, three L's, is there a reason that you've got alliteration with your dogs? So Lois Lane, I'm a big fan of DC Comics, Lois Lane, Clark Kent, and Leela was my son's dog, and you're not really a parent till you have one of your children's pets living in your house, and he named her Leela. So just Lois Lane and Leela, Pitbull and a Pointer Mystery dog. Nice, beautiful dogs. Do you find that they help at all with your writing lifestyle? Are they are they collaborative with you as well as all the other people that you're working with? So um, Lois, if I've been writing for too many hours straight, Lois will come and put her very heavy head on my arm and leave it there till I get up and go do something else. So I guess so in a way. They make me take breaks. If, if I spend too many hours in the chair staring at the computer, suddenly Lois will, Lois is 90 pounds and she'll put her head on my arm and not lift it. Wow. And then your arm just goes dead and you have to stop. Well, and then I take the hint and I'll go take a break and walk them. And she's right. After that many hours, you got to take a break. Yeah, fair. So Martha, I'm very excited to actually have you on the show. Um, for Because we're buddies? Because we're buddies now. So uh, for people listening, me and Martha met, well, we officially met in London last year, uh, at the right. London uh, 20 Books to 50K London event. Which I totally remember. Which totally remember. I think you were absolutely hammered the entire, the entire weekend. <laughs> um, <laughs> And we met again in Edinburgh a couple of weeks ago and became quick friends. So this Besties. interview 
might go absolutely any direction. And I'm actually a little bit afraid of what you might say at certain points, <laughs> how, how this might twist. But we'll, I'll do my best to try with a brand new show to keep it as on track as possible. I can take a hint. No, it's fine. Just you say, you say whatever you need to. Um, okay. Hi, Doug Clegg. Hi, Doug. Where is Doug? You're hopefully <laughs> listening. I hope so. I'm, uh, I'm going to hope to get Doug on the, on the show at one point. That would be awesome. Okay. Yes. Um, but yeah, into the questions. So you're the co-creator of the RS universe. Correct. Can you tell my listeners what this universe is and how it came to be? Okay. Set the scene for some of the questions sure. I've got. Sure. So in um, February, March, somewhere around there of 2017, Michael asked me if I wanted to co-create a universe. He swears he said series. I don't agree. I heard universe and I said, sure. And uh, so we set out and also, by the way, about a month or so into it, he was suggesting other authors. So for someone who said he was only interested in a series, we were already creating a universe. And it's the idea that uh, alongside earth is another planet called Orosarin that can't be accessed except every 26,000 years, I think. But the gates between the two open extremely slowly. And as they open, the magic from Orosarin seeps into Earth. That's the basic premise. And in the cycle of where that is, um, there is magic that is kind of settled on coming into Earth. The doors aren't completely open, but they're going toward opening. And um, from the last time they were open, there's a lot of Orosarins who stayed on Earth, still live here. And there are kind of so-called magical batteries, crystals where, so magic can exist here. So we have about 130 books now. I think we're on track to do a million dollars this year. And um, we we have great collaborations going. It's a lot of fun. We... Uh, we never, I never know where we're going to end up. I mean, when we start a story idea, something sparks between us and suddenly there's an entire new series. It's a, it's a blast. We, do, we have young adults. Michael and I thought maybe people were getting tired of seeing our names on books. So we have Judith Barons. That's us, basically. <laughs> Judith is his wife's name. Barons is in honor of Lyra Barons. The first series of the uh, Lyra Chronicles is in honor of that, the one that set the whole thing off. And we've gone about 30 years into the future of present day. Um, so there's more technology. Magic is more prevalent. And yeah, we're having a blast. Did I answer the question? Absolutely. I have so many questions to spring off of this. So as you say, two years, and yes. you've got over 130 titles within this universe itself, this RS Aaron. Yeah. It's also not the only work that you're doing in terms of different series that you're building, you're also doing a lot of different other series as well. But sticking with Aerosarin just for a minute, how, how do you even start to spring this idea into something that grows so rapidly? Because obviously well, you and Michael and Elise sit down and you have a chat right. about a story idea. And then talk us through how you go about bringing in collaborators, how you look at creating a world that can spring organically while still keeping true to what the main foundations of the story are. So if you're going to create a universe, you know, it's kind of like when you're creating, when I'm creating a series, the arc has to be big enough to contain a series. So if you're creating a world, the arc has to be big enough to contain an entire world. The idea that there are two planets side by side and magic can seep out from one. And we also started with the premise that there was a large group in Orosarin who thought that when the gates would open fully, the magic that sucked out of Orosarin would, would basically kill off the planet kind of like Superman style. 
And um, so they, so we, we created all sorts of subplots going on within this giant two worlds coming together. Then you've got a lot of room to go. And um, one error we made, which, you know, you just find out and you correct. <laughs> we didn't, we said to people urban fantasy, but people liked Orisarid so much at first, the first writers, that they started on Earth took their character to Orisarin and never came back. <laughs> <laughs> and so that stepped more into the fantasy world. And what we found out is fans of fantasy don't really cross into urban fantasy. Urban fantasy don't really cross into fantasy. Okay. So we accidentally were creating two fan bases, which I do not recommend. So now we know better and, you know, we can snip it in the bud, but you have to create a world big enough and then you have to look for people who get excited about your about your idea. And are you the main point of contact for anything that might be, say, a collaborator's coming in, they've got all these ideas of going different places. Are you the main point of contact that says, okay, yeah, this would work in this world. This might be stretching a bit far with my audience. Yes. Is that? And how, yes. how do you manage those situations? You have sort of a core um, document, a place where people can share, where people can kind of research it. We tried that and it really, you would have to hire some, if you're going to create a universe that's become this big, you would have to have someone full-time who only manages the Bible. Mm -hmm. Instead, we have a large group of readers who've been with us from the beginning who read uh, what we do. I tend to remember every detail, um, but if, you know, if I die or <laughs> what happens? And um, <laughs> so fortunately we have these readers who can are amazing. They can even say, nope, that's not right. Back here in Brownstone book two page, and they'll just quote it and they're right. So a Bible is a great idea. In theory, we even had the software and uh, it did all sorts of fancy things. But if you have different collaborators all writing books at the same time with ideas, then somebody has to be willing to put it in and cross connect it. And it's, it's like, it's like an entire Wikipedia on its own. So you do need to build something. We fortunately have, have this group of readers that we have cultivated for two years. But yeah, it's not easy. And then also, we jumped ahead 25 years. There's, all of Orisarin still exists, but it gave us the, the ability to kind of write some new rules. Mm. Fantastic. And how do you go about approaching collaborators to actually get involved? I mean, I'm not kind of presuming that after this interview, you're just going to have an onslaught of messages from people. Um, but how, how do you go about making sure that you're getting the right talent in, that you're making sure that people are respecting the story, but most of all that, they're, that the Orisarian is a good fit for them as well? Right. Okay. So we, um, I look up what they've done on Amazon and I, I actually read it and uh, I see what style. So that's new. Why? I just what don't do get mean? a lot of people that actually read the works of other people for bringing them on board from what I've oh, seen. Oh, no. You have to do it because, mm. um, well, somebody who's a brand new writer, um, it, we're going to drown them. I mean, that's just not going to be fair to them either. And somebody needs to have a pretty good, pretty strong uh, capability, first of all. Also, T.R. Campbell, who's doing super well with Federal Agents of Magic, he wrote, he um, put in a short story for Orisarian Fans Write for Fans, the anthology. And the editor said, take a look at him. He's, he's so good. And so that's how we found him. That, you know, and we'll probably do another Orisarian Fans Write for Fans if anybody wants to put in a story. 
that's a great way to get, you know, it shows, you know, the storyline already because you were able to write in the universe and uh, he's got a best-selling series now. So worked out for him. That's fantastic. So that's a good way to escape people actually bringing in the talent from the people who are enjoying the books anyway, who, who have either started writing or thought about starting to write and actually jump in. Cause I know this is um, something that I know that Michael's done with the, the Cathirian universe as well. Yep. So the Cartherian gamut fans write for fans started from the fans and the Orsaren one went the same way. The fans wanted to know if they could write in the universe and it's, it's fan. And T.R. Campbell was, is a writer. He already had his own books, but he likes Orsaren so much. He wanted to, he just on his own wanted to put in a story and then had this idea. It's, it's yeah. Yeah. It's got to be a really flattering way to go because one of the things that became apparent when uh, we hung out in Edinburgh was that, you do all get a lot the time. Of, all the time. I, th- I think it was like 48, what comes up? 48, 78, two hours of just constant Martha Carr and Dan time. Um, but one of the things that was quite apparent was you have a lot of people that not only like your books, but are big fans of you as well. And you've got your, your Facebook group for the Martha Carr fans. How do you go about one, driving engagement with your fans and two, I guess just sort of handling and keeping on top of it and making sure that you're being the personality that they want you to be as well as also trying to be the author and getting on with doing the books. Cause I know a lot of people that the minute they get a bit of fan attention, that's where their, their attention goes and they just get sucked into doing that rather than putting, putting the, the seam into doing the books as well. So how do you kind of manage that relationship with your fans? So that's a great question. So uh, at, when Michael and I started, Michael has a very easygoing way with his fans. He's, he's naturally funny pretty much all the time. I am not. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a lie but go on um well not like he is and <laughs> i thought i thought um i can't be like him it's not going to work and so the challenge was and i recognized it immediately i'm going to really have to be myself as if i was hanging out with you um and let go of this um idea what do i look like will they like me how do i sound just let it go let whoever likes you likes you and if they don't they don't and that makes it easier to answer people because I'm not trying to, I'm, there's not this whole second conversation in my head and self-editing. I'm just going to be myself. And it's apparently working because so Michael and I do author notes. It's about 700 words, 600 words in the back of every book. And they have nothing to do with the book. They're what's going on in our life. Some people on Amazon review the author notes. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. And um, frankly, from it seems like, too, after reading the author notes, it's what some why some people join the fan group, which is the Pea Brain Society. And um, I check it all the time. I mean, it takes five minutes maybe to jump in, see what everybody's up to. So I'm doing sprints all day. Uh, Part of one of the things I'm doing on the break is I'm checking my phone or my computer looking in on the fan site, answering what I can. And if I see something funny or touching or whatever, I try not to do too many famous quotes. Who cares? <laughs> and, um, and I also try to take pictures. I'm getting better at it because it's like a mental thing. You have to remember to do it mm-hmm. and add that into the fan group. So I've, um, our slogan in the fan group is um, we're more family than fans. And Aww. well, it's true. And, um, and so that's how you grow it is you have to show up. It doesn't take long. It just, it just takes 
the willingness to do it for five minutes every, all day long, every few hours. And I don't mind it. I like it. This Saturday, I don't know when this is airing, but this Saturday, um, I'm taking a bunch of fans to the Mean-Eyed Cat in Austin. That's in the um, Maggie, Walk- Maggie Walker. That's a famous black woman who is wonderful. <laughs> the Maggie Parker, the Adventures of Maggie Parker series, um, the Mean-Eyed Cat in Austin is in it. So I'm going to take them out to lunch. And so you do stuff like that, too. I send out stickers, autograph stickers to anybody who wants them. I do, you know, I'll announce I have a bunch. And they just have to raise their hand. It's a way to get an autograph. And then we started, um, now people take the troll sticker and you'll see it. They take it on vacation with them or on trips. And you'll see pictures of the troll in different parts of the country. The troll was in Scotland. The troll was in Scotland. I did yes, see you trying to set up the troll sticker for about five minutes against a fireplace while people were trying That's to focus right. on writing. That's right. <laughs> in a quiet room in this little house. It was like a castle house. And it you're there just fiddling away with the with the sticker. Troll sticker. It was worth it. They loved it. People Lots didn't of likes. Mind either because it was it was you as well. So I don't think people minded. Well, the only person who was watching me, frankly, was you. But let's let's get that's past not that. true. It kind of is. <laughs> it's the only person you felt watching you. <laughs> Everybody else had their head down and were typing quickly. <laughs> It'd be such a fun one to air. Um, this airs on Friday, so that'll be oh, yeah. tomorrow. So if you're in the Austin area. Um, <laughs> So I think it's noon. You can find in the if you join the Facebook group, you'll find the time. It's the um, I think it's noon. It might be one. It's probably one. Anyway, me and I cat on Fifth Street in Austin, and yeah, well I buy lunch. It's it's um you better like brisket because it's pretty much all they've got. (laughs) (laughs) See, that's something that I find interesting as well. Is there aren't a lot of authors who go to these sort of lengths for their fans. I mean, you could argue that a few don't get to this level of engagement where they'll actually have people sort of reaching out to meet up and, and do this kind of stuff. Where did all this, where does all this start for you? Because if you walk back to so two years ago, just before Oris Aaron was born, right. um, was any of this kind of stuff in your life at all? No, because who cared? You know, you have to have fans first to, to take them to lunch. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the first instance of that happening and how did that come to be? Well, so it started because um, I put myself in other author fan groups and watched what they did that made them successful. And frankly, all of the big authors who are doing super well are exactly like me. And they all have this level of fan engagement. It may not look like what I'm doing, but it's at this level. And it's so, and so I was imitating them at first. And um, I know people like to get autographs. So I was thinking, how can you get an autograph with an ebook? Stickers. And um, yeah. And I also, uh, I give Kindles to a local veteran center for um, Vietnam veterans. First had to teach them what a Kindle was. There was a lot of what's a Kindle. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And, but they seem thrilled once we, once we taught them how to use it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you just look for ways to, to make this more fun for you too. It's a lot more fun for me to engage with the fans and uh, be yourself. It's too hard. Otherwise it's too hard. Mm. And I think also there's a, an element of being genuine about it and not, yeah. I mean, you, you're clearly doing it for, for the love of having these people, for helping people. And like you say, putting yourself in other people's shoes rather than, seeing it as a marketing ploy to sell the books it won't work as a marketing ploy it's Mm. it's it's, um it's if it's a marketing ploy it's the long game because they love you Mm -hmm. 
Um, there's even a picture, if you search on there, that I took. I had my appendix out two months ago, and there's a picture right after surgery. <laughs> and it's not bad. It looks not bad either. Then nice. I took a selfie because I had my phone, and you know, you're high on whatever they gave you. So I took a picture and put it on there. And how did you start this group? So you've created a Facebook group, Martha Car Fans. Was it after you already had the demand for it? So the P-Brain one. Um, was it after you already had the fan base behind you or did you create it and then people sort of drip fed into it? Um, I had, so I had the author page first, which was going well, but on an author page, uh, fans cannot post. They can only mm. comment on what you posted. And if you want to create more of a back and forth, you've got to create a fan group. And so the funny part is my son, Louis, the offspring said, create a group. And he was watching me and I created a page and he said, no group. And so then I created another page. He said, no group, group, group. And then <laughs> he said, sweet baby Jesus, are you doing this on purpose? <laughs> I was not. So eventually I got the group going because if you want to create any kind of interaction, you have to have a place where they can talk when they want to talk. Hmm. Fantastic. So if you're an author and you have no fans at all, set the group up anyway, because they're going to come looking for you. Mm-hmm. And so you want a place for them to be able to feed into. It's, re- I mean, if I had really thought about it, it would have started a long time ago. Some authors have who like some authors who are doing quite well started the group first, and they got an interaction going, and people joined them because they liked the conversation, and that helped them sell the books. Yeah, yeah. I've got um, a Facebook page that, to be fair, I kind of gave up on about. A year ago or so it was it was building it was getting sort of numbers and then a lot of the stuff happened with facebook where they changed who sees what and the actual engagement just plummets and like you say it's not a place where people can go on and actually interact with you it's more a place where people can kind of just put a stamp on and say i've acknowledged the thing that you've said and groups definitely the way forward um just across any aspect of whether you're doing author stuff uh whether it's sort of in a career where you have to do a bit more engagement with other people, it's definitely something that I've seen the last few years is put the groups in so that people can join and have those conversations. And like you say, they can then generate among themselves. And am I right in thinking you've got people that almost act as, I don't want to say higher up. I'm trying to think of the, the right words, but almost like in, in, pardon? as moderators, as moderators. Yeah. For your yes. group that then also drive that conversation yes. and keep it going. Yes. Yes. And uh, Facebook lets you actually appoint people who speak a lot, you can give them that title and um, it encourages them to then, and they, yeah, they'll start conversations. They'll ask how everyone's doing. They'll post stuff that starts a conversation. Yeah. And, and it's really nice when you realize you've gotten to that tipping point where it doesn't need to be you, but I also will join in on those conversations too, because it should feel like peer to peer and not, Oh, look, Martha has come in. (laughs) No, absolutely. One thing I did want to, uh, bring up with you or come back to we mentioned it briefly earlier so when you first met michael yeah i'd like you to just go a little bit deeper into talking about that moment so you you went to a talk in which michael was was speaking correct um before that moment you were an author you had a couple of titles that i had actually been an author for 30 years Mm -hmm. and i was traditionally published and my first book sold super well it was called wired it was a thriller back in 1993 before lots of people were born who were listening to this. (laughs) And um, I also had a nonfiction that did really well called A Place to Call Home on U.S. Orphanages. I lived on U.S. Orphanages for two years traveling all over. So then I had this thriller series 
that I'm not even going to mention, so it stays buried. That, <laughs> <laughs> that, that you couldn't, I, I couldn't revive no matter what I did. And so I went to, so I set it aside and thought someday, and I also had a national column. In other words, I could write, but I could not put together how to make money off of this. So I thought I'm going to set this aside until the answer comes to me. I'm going to just have a nice life and we'll see what happens. I've already proven I can write. I've had a great time. Let's see what happens. So I got an email from a local group in Austin that this guy was going to talk. Um, he had, he was on Cartharian gamut had only been out for six months and, um, he had no other series going. This was, uh, this was it. I think there were less than 500 people in 20 books to 50 K. There are now over 30,000. And, um, so, uh, he said in the, in the intro, in the email, it said this guy was writing fiction and in six months he was making 30,000 a month. And I'd been doing this for 30 years and, and that was supposed to be not possible. So I was going to see how much of a liar he was and if he could pull it off and if he had a couple, few good marketing tips. So it was a room of uh, 90 authors and halfway through, not even halfway through, I realized that Michael had noticed something that the rest of us had missed. And I think a lot of it was because he is a whale reader and he was writing what, and he's always said he wrote what he wanted and he, um, and he set it out before people who like to read a book in an hour. And that's why he was doing so well. He, it was really cool to listen to because it was like one of those moments of, oh, there is a way to do this differently. So then he said at the end, I will stay as long as anyone has a question. I had a teenager with me who likes to write, and I thought, well, shoot, I'm, I can't ask him a question because he's, he's about to be swamped. But everybody streaming by me was saying, oh, he's a liar. That's not possible. And they all left except two old guys up there with Michael. And I looked back and realized, oh, okay, he's by himself except for these two guys. So I went up there and said hello. Little did Michael know what was about <laughs> to happen to him. And um, I got an email and a phone number. And I was the only one out of 90 people who followed up. It, I mean, it wasn't like others followed up and didn't work out. I was the only person in that room who followed up. See, I want to break that down a little bit because that's something that I see repeatedly when you go to different conferences, when you go to different events where you do have talent at the front of the room who are offering basically what everyone there is asking for. The whole reason people come to events like that is to, right. is to learn that information, be able to move that practically into their own lives. And like you say, out of that entire room, there was yourself and, and two old guys, but one person out of that group followed up. What is it, do you think, do you think there's, anything specific in those situations that puts people off asking? Do you think there's a fear? Do you think that, what is it do you think that holds people back from taking that opportunity? Oh, yeah. Because for you, that obviously worked out very well. And yes. in my case as well, I had Michael on the podcast a couple of years ago and I followed up after the podcast and basically got talking to him. And the minute something came up, then followed that up and kind of went in with, with, with the group as well. But I'm, I'm wondering what that kind of disconnect is or, or why that doesn't happen more. Well, so I can tell you what I did, and I think that points out the disconnect. I decided that whatever Michael said, I was going to say yes, because he was doing well, and I was not financially on selling books. So why would I put my two cents worth in? Why, why did I think I had something to offer? And I would set aside my need to, to prove I know something. 
and just be have enough humility um, to say yes. So when so when he said let's do the cover like this, sure. And he'd ask my opinion, I'd offer it. it but I didn't feel the need to prove that I I was smart. And so yeah, I think a lot of the people who were leaving were afraid to try. So um, Oris Aaron's doing really well. It doesn't mean we haven't made some lovely mistakes. And <laughs> but you never see how the sausage is made. And so I think the fear of failure. And, of, and you take it personally. So a book, uh, we've had a series that didn't do as well as we hoped. It didn't fail. It just didn't do as well as we hoped. So we cut it out off after four books. It's the Daniel Codex, lovely series, if you're looking for one. And um, did neither, not for a second did Michael and I stand around going, I wonder what it is about us. Um, it was a decision. We cut it off and immediately started talking about what will we replace it with. And that's the difference. We take it in as data. And I've noticed sometimes people take it in as a personal comment on themselves. So instead of saying, um, I'm not up to think uh, to figuring this out, we just wondered how to figure it out. And if we don't know, we're, we're more than happy to ask others and look ignorant. And also, both of us are very quick to say, um, oh yeah, that one was on me. I, so <laughs> the troll that everybody, the troll that everybody loves, people adore the troll. Well, the first version of the troll, Michael was sick in Europe. I think he was in France and could not look at the artist's rendition. So I approved it, the initial one. <laughs> and <laughs> when Michael came to and looked at it, he wondered what I'd been smoking. And <laughs> And it was kind of hairless. And when he later, so later we had the real troll, the one we, that everybody knows, he showed me the first one. And even I wondered what the hell had happened to me. It was so <laughs> ugly. It was like a hairless rat. I don't know what I was thinking. I loved it at first. Mm. And it's being able to laugh and not think, oh my God, how could I have done that? Instead, you know, like, and he tells everybody who will listen to this day, should have seen the one that Martha wanted. And, <laughs> So keep a sense of humor. Don't take it personally. Keep saying, if somebody is doing the thing you want to do and they're doing it well, just keep saying yes. Because what's the worst that's going to happen? You've already probably had a few things that didn't go the way you wanted. If this is one more, then it's, it's still taking one step closer to where you want to be. You have nothing to lose. So I just kept saying yes. I still do. I still do all the time. He has an idea. I think, why not? <laughs> go with it. Let's have some fun. Yeah. Because mm. I do if find not, if you're not having fun, ask yourself why you're doing it. Mm. Go ahead. No, I was going to say I do find that um, your yours and Michael's relationship with failure is very very interesting, and it's something that I think uh, is a lesson that everyone can take away is is finding the data point behind failure rather than the emotional connect. But what would you say to people who might not have that um, history of of work or successes behind them that maybe they're putting out their first book their first series and it's not quite hitting off like it should how so then, what would you say to them yeah so then if you really can't see why it's not working and that can happen at this level too where you can't see why it's not working then i go and ask people i trust um what is it about this you know how they do those anatomies at 20 books sometimes on a cover and a blurb and suddenly it's obvious to the writer too oh and it was right there um you go and ask them, 
And you, and if you need to take the advice and look at it the first time, then wait a day and look at it again when your emotions aren't in it so that you can then change what needs to be changed. And you just keep tweaking things and asking for help until it starts to, to get to where you want to be. It can be done is what I'm saying. It could be that you're in a genre that's so small, so niche that there aren't enough buyers to, that are ever really going to lift you up. That could be, and maybe you want to stay there also okay. It could be that I named my first thriller book, uh, The List. And now I look back because I thought it sounded so spooky. But now you think, <laughs> The List what? I mean, it's, you know, it's so, but it, to me, I, I heard something else in my head, but now I get it. You, it was not a, it's Just not a good title for anything. Yeah, unless you're, oh, yeah, you're too close to it. So, and, and I, I, I strongly suggest, and I've noticed all of us who are doing well have this. You have a circle of friends who are authors who are doing well that you can go to at any time who will tell you the truth. And they will not try to spare your feelings. They're not going to be jerks about it, but they're, not gonna, they're just going to get to the point. This is why, from looking at this, this is what I see as the issue. Then they expect you to be able to take it and go do with what you need. And that's perfect. Nobody's going to waste anybody's time. And you get a lot of great feedback. Develop that circle. We all kind of grew up together. Abby Lynn Kenora and I, it's Kenora, by the way. Oh. Uh, we, um, we started together. And so it's kind of like graduating from college with somebody. And uh, you remember when you were saying to each other, I hope this works. And, uh, and also she was there for when the thrillers did not. And... Um, so yeah, you have, start to develop a group of people that you respect who, are, who have the same drive and motivation you do, who do not whine, do not complain, do not say what if, what if. The, the issue with a what if question is it's a magical question because there is no answer. And if, frankly, if you ask me a what if question these days, I'm going to give you the most blown up, lovely, wonderful answer I can because it has the same amount of chance of working out as a disastrous negative. And I'm just trying to make a point that I have no answer for that question. It's really, what are you supposed to be doing today? If you can say, I've done what I can today, then you're going to need to put it down. I can't tell you whether or not it's going to succeed. And I can't tell you what might go wrong. Some things will go wrong on the day it does. Go ask for help. Figure it out. On the day it goes right, enjoy it. Go bowling. And throw the ball backwards. And throw the ball backwards and hit Michael accidentally. <laughs> <laughs> Not that, that happened. Fantastic. How how do you approach productivity? Do you have a set of routines? Are you quite lenient with what you do? How how is it? Because you've obviously written a lot over the past couple of years. You you work on a lot of the time. How do you get yourself in that that mode to be productive? So at first, all I did was write. And I told myself, I'm willing to do this for now and give up a social life for the opportunity I've been given. And I literally was up till late and I was up early and I was on the weekends. I was, I wanted to do a rapid release and I was writing all the time. But now that it's two years later, I find it a little harder to keep to that schedule and it'd be nice to have a life. I'm turning mm -hmm. 60. How many years do I have left? And so now I do sprints with Charlie Case. While I was in Scotland, he said he didn't write much at all because I wasn't sprinting with him. Naughty. I know. <laughs> and so I create artificial structure. I know how many words have to get done. 
I know what's realistic um, to ask of myself. But you know, I'm the sort of per- you have to know your own personality and make peace with it. If if long term, if you try to go against your own personality, I'm not sure you're gonna. I think a resentment would start. I'm not sure it would work. And I've seen too many people who come in all flavors who do well to not know that you don't have to be a certain somebody in order for this to work. You can be you. You, And I think the faster you make peace with yourself, the faster you're going to be a success. Mm. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Definitely something that I want to jump out there as it's fresh today is you've got a brand new series that has launched. Can you tell us a little bit about the series itself and what are you doing specifically uh, to try and market and push that out to as many people as possible? I would love to. It's called The Witch Next Door. And um, the first book is One Witch, Too Few. And this started, I was talking, Michael and I were trying to think of a new series. And my late mother, uh, back when my parents were first married, she started taking money out of dad's paycheck and never told him. (laughs) and he was a minister who didn't make much and yet she took this little she took just small enough that he didn't notice for 60 years that's smart and smart yeah (laughs) just wait but she also she said to me once and i didn't realize how much she meant it till after she was gone she said uh cars are no jones are savers cars are not she was a jones my and uh, you know my dad was a car she meant she hid the money from him is what I'm saying. She, was, she <laughs> thought if he knew about it, he'd spend it. So she put it in different banks all over the country. And to this day, I don't know how she managed to hide um, the monthly bank notice from him for 60 years. Mm. So when she died, we discovered this that she had done this and she had a million dollars all over the country. Wow. We found another one last year. So for all we know, there's more money out there. We'll never find. Whatever. <laughs> And so from that, we had the idea of this uh, witch, her, um, they're well off and she and her mother and her mother uh, travels all over the world because, you know, that's my mother and leaves clues everywhere and disappears. And when she disappears, the will strips her of everything but a Winnebago. And um, she suspects that her mother is still alive. Everyone else thinks her mother is dead. And her mother, she has these clues she's trying to follow to find out what happened to her mother. It's not about the money. It's about, it's about finding out what happened to her mother. She reconnects with an old love, Romeo, who is a werewolf, of course. Of course. And so it's, um, it's in honor of Tina. That's my mother's name, Tina. And who could keep a secret better than any human I've ever heard of. I mean, they always say you'll talk to somebody, and she did not. And um, who ended up taking care of her kids in the long run because suddenly we had an inheritance. And um, that's in honor of that. It's got humor and action and adventure. And it's a, um, a Winnebago who doesn't love that. And a sexy werewolf who doesn't love that. Named Romeo. <laughs> and, it t- and the different books will go to different cities as she searches for these clues and tries to find out why was her mother doing this in the first place, traveling? What was she looking for? And is she alive? That sounds very exciting. It's definitely yeah. one we have to pick up. And how are you? How are you approaching the launch? Obviously, we spoke a little bit before you came. Um, before we started recording, that it's a bit too early yet to know how it's doing in the rankings. But are there specific things that you've developed over the last couple of years that yes. you now just do straight away? Can you can you talk us through some of those? Sure. So um, I do uh, Facebook Live readings. Uh, back 
when before the internet, uh, you did, I, I drove all over the country and did book readings. And so I approach it like that. And uh, I go on the author page and I read from different books. And um, most of the fans in the US, they like it at eight o'clock. So I think of it like, I, you know, I chat with them at first and say, like tucking them into bed. <laughs> and, and then I read to them from the book. And I start from the beginning and read a chapter, and uh, that gets a great response. I mean, the viewings are really up there. And I mean, it's 20 minutes of my time, and I like doing it. And people come, and I comment on what's coming up, and I keep it really casual. Um, I do bother to put on makeup. (laughs) (laughs) I feel it's in everyone's best interest. Make an effort. I make an effort. (laughs) And um, also, we do newsletter swaps. Um, with people who are in our genre, it's not a good idea. It, not only in urban fantasy, but they have to be in YA. It's got to fit or you're, or you're not serving yourself very well. And we have pretty f- powerful newsletters ourselves. Um, I spread it out over different, you know, LMBPN page sites. That's that, yeah, that's pretty much the basics right off the top of my head. Ads, of course, ads, mm. ads, ads. Yeah, because you seem to have hit it really perfectly and with urban fantasy considering it's quite a it's still quite a young genre um i mean it's not really been around the genre crowded genre already it's very very popular um but it seems to have sprung up am i right in saying about 2012 it's yeah yeah somewhere around there maybe a little maybe even a little younger than that but yeah somewhere around there was urban fantasy all gone well and it's already crowded it's you know harry potter was urban fantasy it's magic Mm. in a realistic setting Mm. and I love the idea that at any moment I may find out I am magical and magic mm. does exist. If anyone see my author picture, they will understand. Yeah. And uh, so I think there, I think most human beings love to think that magic is real and that's why it's so popular and there's a lot of people writing in it. Yep. But it can be tricky to do it with finesse because you well, know, it's, so you're not doing the same thing everybody else is doing it can be tricky and what's the magic finesse source for urban fantasy in your opinion uh well so a good example the adventures of maggie parker um it's um earth is really a ship that got stuck orbiting around the earth and bubbles is the magic and yet it's still got my snarky sense of humor and um you know a gnome who well can change into I can't really say much without spoiling something. But there's a rac- <laughs> there's a raccoon on the cover of book three. That's all I'm saying. That's very and exciting. It's very exciting, and the readers <laughs> notice too. There, even there's there's some reviews from that are great that say it's nice to see magic uh, finally used in a different way. So you know maybe you have to take a little time and, and ask yourself what am I doing? That what twist am I bringing? You don't want to erase it so much that they don't recognize elves and dwarves. They, you know, everybody wants some familiarity, but why are you writing the story? What element are you bringing to it? That's different. That will make this exciting to read. Why do you write? What is your, what is your end goal with your writing? So, uh, I started to write because I had a very difficult time talking. It's true. That yeah okay that, that's shocking. <laughs> <laughs> and I had a very difficult time talking, and so writing for me was a way to say what I was really thinking. And I grew up in the D.C. area, 
And the Washington Post was the local paper. And so to me, it was a local paper. I had no real concept of it as the Washington Post. So I sent in a long piece. They took it. It's the only time this has ever happened. They changed one word in a very long piece. They loved it so much. It was just one of those weird things. And then the response I got pre-internet, people actually had to write you a letter. And they did, and lots of them. And um, I just started to see that I had something to say, and it was it, that was magic. And um, so now I keep writing because I, you know, I wrote a st- uh, the Lyric Chronicles with a swearing troll, <laughs> just to be funny. And, you know, it's entertainment. I kept saying I write recess these days, um, and then I got one after the other. So many emails from veterans who suffer from pain or PTSD who said, because of the troll, I take less meds. I mean, can you imagine that? I know, because they're laughing so hard, they just don't, or they they wake up in the middle of the night, they read the book, they laugh, they can get back to sleep, they don't need the meds. Um, One guy said he was told by his doctor not to do any strenuous exercise, and he laughed so hard that he had a Something, something flared up with his heart. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <Like no. two-part. laughs> so sometimes you do what you love and you're okay and I'm okay with it and you end up benefiting others. And because of that, I have a connection now to a local veteran center for Vietnam vets with PTSD who love the series. We, and, uh, we get together all the time. And so... I write because I still have something to say. It's just changed. Now, what I'm trying to say is, um, why not have a good time? If you need a little escape, I'm your girl. <laughs> uh, I'm just here to entertain you, to make you laugh, to make you th- wonder about the world. Maggie Parker, um, she, can, the, she can hear the trees. There's a cool book on trees. It's a, actually a, by a biologist. It's not urban fantasy. And she talks about how the roots, they discovered that trees miles apart can actually communicate with each other and share nutrients. I've heard this. Isn't that yeah. awesome? And when one of them gets poisoned or dies, it sends out um, basically the remainder of what is essentially its soul to the other trees to warn yes. them of something that might be impeding yes. on them. Yes. And it's, so it sacrifices itself in order to save others. Mm. But they will also share what they have in order to say, if, if a tree can be saved, they will share miles away. And so I took that concept and it runs all the way through the adventures of Maggie Parker, where the trees are the soul of the earth. And Maggie's the only one because she was chosen by the planet to be the um, uh, elemental who can hear the trees. Isn't that cool? That's fantastic. guys. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So um, not only am I weaving in uh, humor, I'm trying to weave in the idea. And it's the same in the Lyric Chronicles that um, everything's actually okay. You may not have noticed, you may not feel that way, but take a, take a second look. It's all, it's all okay, you're gonna be okay. So hopefully, my favorite books are the ones where after I'm finished reading it, I actually feel better about the life I'm walking back to too. And, if, and so that's my goal. That's a fantastic point for me to stop asking specific questions because you're such a positive person and I'll somehow find a way to bring you down. I'm only joking. Um, or I'll raise you up, <laughs> that could happen. Absolutely. Um, I do have some questions from um, my patrons over at patreon.com forward slash a great writer share, um, which will be, this is actually the first episode in which the patrons have put some questions forward for the guests. Um, so I'll do a quick shout out. If anyone wants to join us over at Patreon, then 
just stick around, look in the show notes, there's links there, but you can come and ask any of our guests some questions at the end of the show. But are you ready for these, Martha? Sure. Why? Yes. Yes, I am. They're not scary. Uh, so John Cronshaw, hello, John, uh, asks, Hi, John. if you were to start your writing career today, what would be the core things you would do to build up an audience and start selling your books? I would immediately start a Facebook page and a, and a, a, a fan group. Uh, and I would start posting uh, comments about that were true to who I am. I mean, not everybody's funny. And I know Dan likes to say I'm funny, but I'm actually not all the time. And I would start trying to build, basically, you're trying to build a neighborhood. If that's maybe a better way to talk, think of it. You're trying to build a neighborhood of people who love what you're, you have to say. And um, I would look for, I would go and join other author groups, see what they're doing that rings true for you, that you can adapt, do that in yours. And um, talk about the book you're working on the whole time. Share snippets with them along the way. You can even um, drop a chapter in and say, what do you think? And, you know, if they hate it and they have suggestions, they may save the book for you. Fantastic. Um, I've got two from Jen Mitchell, which they kind of link together. So I'll throw both these questions out there and then okay. answer them how you will. Um, Jen asks, what suggestions do you have around reader engagement for new authors trying to build their reader base? Um, which kind of links a bit into the last one. And do you have any advice for newer authors wanting to participate in anthologies, specifically what to do and what not to do when approaching the gatekeeper in oh, charge? Oh, boy, of do I have an answer for this. Ooh. Hello, Rami. <laughs> <laughs> Shoot. So um, I wanted to be in an anthology, so I did one myself. I did a, a thriller one back when I was still trying to be a thriller author. And uh, I did one now. And... So you go and ask those very same authors that you're growing up with that you admire who are pretty much on your level. And, and, and you ask the big ones too, because you usually get one, at least one or two. And you do it yourself. So make sure that everybody who contributes a story is contributing an original story <laughs> never before published. Make them swear to you that's the case. Because Amazon will, will tag you and it could, will put it in kind of to a tangle. Also, um, it's been suggested to me, publish it on Monday, because if there is an issue, you have all week for hopefully it to clear up. Pick a theme. So if it's urban fantasy, um, you, you know, it could all be that it has to do with a location or a type of magic. Um, and um, the, the title for the anthology we're trying to get Amazon to let go of, Rami. It's called <laughs> Urban Magic, Hungry, Young, and Clever. So Hungry, Young, and Clever was a title Michael and I came up with that we thought was funny. Whatever. And then um, we're donating all the funds from this anthology to, and hopefully by the time this podcast is out, the book is out, all the funds are going to the American Library Association Disaster Relief Fund that helps libraries destroyed or damaged by natural disasters. Because a library is what really taught me that the world was a much bigger place. It's amazing that you can go in and read as much as you want and go back for more. And they'll even let you take them home. There's no GPS on the thing, hopefully. No, for free. It's just those little stamps is all I remember. Just oh, well, yeah. I used to like looking through the list of stamps and seeing what dates it was last checked out and by, by who. I'm sorry that's not the case anymore. That the stamps aren't in the back. Yes. And actually, after I got familiar with libraries at the age of five, I did that in the back of all my books. 
<laughs> fair. To be fair, I, most of my books that I get are normally like date when I first got them and just put a little thing in there. Well, when I went to read those books to my son, there in the back were still my homemade library cards. Oh, nice. That was kind of sweet. And when his children, whenever that occurs, uh, they'll have them in the back of those too. Go dog, go. They will. (laughs) So what specifically, if there was a a newbie author who approached yourself, for example, and said, I want to be in your anthology. Why would I say yes? Yes. Okay. So I would look to see what they've done already. Do they know how to handle an anthology? You know, have they put out any books? If you've never put out a book, it's going to be a tough road. Um, And maybe you should be concentrating on something else before you're doing an anthology. But um, I would, forgot that was on. (laughs) I would would, um, uh, also, and if they had put out things, I would go and read them. And only because I'm trying to see if this, urban fantasy anthology was going to be close enough to my style that we would be a good match. If you've got, if you're heavy on the romance, we might not be a good match. I have some romance, but I'm not, I wouldn't, it's not a PNR. It's, it's not, it's not heavy, heavy romance. And the, and the heavy romance people don't want me in theirs either. I'm more action adventure with some romance. Mm. So that, so that matters. Do I like what you've written? And, um, yeah, and then I and then I'm, and then I would just look at whether or not I have time. Usually, you want about a uh, anywhere from a three thousand to a ten thousand word story, but no more than that. Otherwise, you're building a doorstop because mm. you know ten authors, you've already got a hundred thousand words. Can get big very quickly. Yes, and then yeah. you, I put them in KU, and then uh, after KU lasts for six months at a time. After the f- initial one, you get your story back. I unpublish it, and you can do with it what you want. It can become you can publish it yourself or you can start to make it a reader magnet and give it away. So you've created that for yourself. Yeah. And you did some good. Hopefully we'll be able to write a check for disaster relief fund. Perfect. Now straight into the quick fire round, which Uh-oh. I have pre-warned you uh, is going to be 10 questions, which are literally just random questions pulled from the, the gray matter Wait, in my win head. Something at the end. Uh, you can win a hug when I finally visit you in, in Austin. Um, right. which or you would have got glamp- anyway but that's fine or when or we, we go, go clamping i'm looking forward to that yay <laughs> it's gonna be fun uh okay so 10 quick questions are you ready yes number one what's your favorite color blue what's been your favorite place to live chicago and austin peanut butter or jelly peanut butter sunset or sunrise sunset what was the last movie to make you laugh oh i can think of it but i can't remember her name can't think of her name. That's female comic, blonde hair. Um, totally outrageous. She hits her <laughs> head. Female and thinks she's <laughs> she thinks she, she hits her head and thinks she's beautiful, even though she didn't before, and she walks around like she's the sexiest thing alive. Oh, I can't think of her name. And it's everybody, not the one with Jack Black in, is it? No. no. Oh, I, he might be in it. Um, but she always makes me laugh so hard and everybody's watching this is going to be screaming at the, this thing. <laughs> what it is. Um, well, if we remember it, we'll stick it in the show notes and then. All right. Can, Cause can I can Google it. it and find it pretty quickly. Probably. Well, but, let, let's save it. All right. <laughs> uh, what's one place you've never been that you'd love to go? Uh, the t- Tuscany. Who's your biggest inspiration? Oh, these days, probably my son. Is your biggest book still inside of you? 
Who knows? I'm just trying to have fun these days. I'm not going for a masterpiece anymore. I'm going for, can I write something that makes you feel better about yourself? That's all I care about. Milky Way or Mars? Milky Way. However you want. Uh, who was the favorite person you met in Edinburgh? Oh, it was hard to find him at times. And so we had to keep putting his name out on Facebook for sightings. And his <laughs> name was um, Dan Wilcox. Dan Wilcox sighting. Yes. And so we had hashtag where's Dan Wilcox. And that got to be pretty popular. That was fun the last couple of days because I missed the last part of the conference and then just seeing constant tags with hashtag Dan Wilcox sighting and random pictures. My favorite one, there was a picture, a group picture of everyone outside of the, the mansion house um, doing their waving goodbye at the exact time the photo was taken, a oh, cyclist yes. went past and it was yes. a blurry profile of the cyclist that I was tagged in lots of times as, as yes. that was me in disguise. Yes. Um, so thank you I, for that. For... I enjoyed um, imagining that your phone was blowing up every few minutes all day long it was it actually was for a good two or three days it was it was constantly vibrating which was fun um but martha i'm respectful of your time and uh i'm afraid we're gonna have to bring this to a close so before we do where can listeners find out more from you and your work if you go to marthacarr.com, C-A-R-R.com, not only will you find out more about the work, you'll find out about the Pea Brain Society, where we're actually going to try something new starting in September, where we're going to see if we can help each other uh, go toward our dreams as a group. And you know how usually they talk to you about how you can fulfill your dreams as an individual? That's not actually what, the way we were meant to do things. And so we're setting up something different. Um, Joe Scolari and I, uh, I hope I said his name right, um, and I are setting this up. You can join the Pea Brain Society there, marthacard.com. Perfect. Martha, you're incredibly positive. You're an inspiration. This has been fun. And uh, thank you very much for your time on the show. Thank you, Dan Wilcox. Thank you. And thank you everyone for listening and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Great Writer Share podcast. Next week, we'll be talking to Alison Ingleby, USA Today bestselling author about all things dystopian and post-apocalyptic. One last time, if you're interested in getting more from the show for as little as a dollar a month, you can join our patron over at patreon.com forward slash Great Writer Share, where you can get access to a load of extra bonuses, including asking the guests questions, our monthly giveaway, and entry into our private Slack group where you can communicate and socialize with other writers. Once more, that's patreon.com forward slash great writer share. Until next time. Long dead. You can talk about me like, oh, it's recording. (laughs) It's fine. You can keep talking. I can cut all this stuff out. Sure you will. Of course I will. I I don't put bloopers at the end or anything. My trust level with you. <laughs>